we're in a state where we've gotten more used to the new normal, but we're lacking, we're noticing maybe for the first time this year, the impact that not being together as often has had on decision-making and, and building relationships. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What is your team culture like? What is your leadership style? How do you make decisions? These are all questions my client was recently asked. These questions came from different people, their current team, people who they were interviewing, who wanted to work for them, even their mentee. They all wanted to know, what's it like to work for you, to learn from you? And when I started working with this client, they had some generic answers that they could speak to each of these questions, but sometimes they weren't as confident in their answers as they'd like to be. Now they're able to confidently describe with examples, the cultures of their team, their leadership style and how they make decisions aligned to what's important to them by describing their values, how they model those values and how they reward and recognize those behaviors. Can you answer those questions for yourself? Let's dig into these together. Join us in the catch crew, a place to grow your career intentionally to get the skills to intentionally grow your career and your teams through your own leadership. When you join, you get instant access to team building tools, including values. First, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book values. First, you get the tools you need to build the life career and team culture that you want. Go to the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. That's the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I'm really excited for our guest, Miriam, to join us today. She's been a coach and facilitator for over 20 years, dedicating her life to studying the overlap between business and psychology. Miriam has coached founders and executives at hundreds of companies, including many with revenue over a billion dollars. She's often partnered with companies from Series B all the way through going public. She works one-on-one with senior leaders, facilitates team offsites, and develops customized leadership development journeys for leaders at all levels. Her specialty is in helping people unlock the next level of performance while maximizing authenticity. Miriam's credentials include an MA in organizational and management development, a BA in business and psychology, She is a master certified coach with the International Coaching Federation, a fellow at the Harvard Institute of Coaching, and a member of the Forbes Coaches Council. I loved my conversation with Miriam so much. We do similar work. So we both coach leaders individually, and we work with leadership teams and facilitating and consulting. And it was really fun to talk shop about what we are seeing leaders struggle with 
And specifically, we talked a lot about the team dynamics of leadership teams. We talked about the importance of relationships with peers and why that's an often overlooked relationship that people focus on. We also talked about what working on a high functioning team looks and feels like. And we also talked about common obstacles that leaders face, like taking on work that they know that they can impact, but maybe it is not in their remit, even though they they know that they can probably influence it. And we walk through lots of actionable examples. I know that you're going to get so much out of this episode. Let's get started. Well, Miriam, I am really excited to have you on the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Welcome. Yeah, Laura, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, I've been looking forward to this conversation and just spending time getting to know each other. I know that we have some commonalities and kind of who we serve, and I'd love to dig into some of that and to see what you're seeing out there in the world of work and life. But if you don't mind, do you mind giving us a little bit more about your background, your career history, your family history? Yeah. So I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and my dad was someone who was someone very interested in psychology, who was existing as an entrepreneur, a first executive, and then he transitioned to being a serial entrepreneur. So the psychology of my family was he was really focused on work. So I learned really early if I was going to get his attention, I just needed to put myself between him and whatever he was interested in. And so that meant being really interested in psychology and really interested in entrepreneurship and really interested in leadership. And I do feel like there's some serendipity or some divine guidance or something going on there because it truly is something that I am deeply passionate about and has just persevered through my whole life. So I'm grateful that very early I was already exposed to some of these concepts that some people aren't until they're 30, 40, 50, maybe never. And then my mom was just, she was anxious. She was depressed. She'd been through a lot as a little one. And so she needed to take care of herself a lot. And then I felt like I needed to take care of her and and then become incredibly self-reliant. So that was kind of the ecosystem, let's say that I grew up in. And it took me until I was in my late twenties to learn about any of that. I just was busy going through life, setting goals, hitting them, feeling like I had to figure it out. I had to take care of others. And luckily that meant that I was busy getting degrees in organizational development and putting myself in positions where I was learning a lot really quickly. So it felt like a very deep dive into corporate culture and yeah, I just kept saying yes to jobs that seemed like in hindsight, like big jobs. Like I was working as a consultant very early and I loved it until I all of a sudden started to hit a wall. Um, and my late twenties when my then husband wanted to get divorced and then my mom passed away pretty suddenly. And all of a sudden I just didn't have the ability to keep on keeping on. And that's when I hired my first coach and started to learn about these things like emotions. I was like, what do you mean emotions? It was, I was so disconnected from myself. And that coach really helped me learn about me and shift the trajectory of my life. So I'm grateful to still have the through line of psychology and business but I'm approaching it so differently and and very interested in other people being able to 
know themselves and understand themselves more fully so that they we can make more conscious choices of how to live and how to lead. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing the personal background. I think that sometimes we kind of try to separate it or really we've been told that it's kind of separate work and life, right? And yeah. it absolutely impacts one another. What happened kind of career-wise then after working with that coach, you were a consultant and then what, where did your career take you then? Yeah. So after being a consultant, I decided to go internal with startups. I decided to take some of these concepts that it was harder sometimes to be on the outside advising companies. And some of them would take the advice, some of them wouldn't. And I just thought, well, it's nice to talk about it, but is it real? And could, is it actually, does it play out the way that I think it does? And so that was meaningful to be able to build companies from the ground up and help shape the culture and the development paths of individuals. And how do we communicate here? And how do we set each other up for success? And I'm happy to say my hypotheses turned out, it's true. The way you treat each other matters. And it absolutely impacts the experience people have at work, but also how they feel about themselves how they're relating to their family. It's, as you said already, it's so interconnected. Yeah. And then how did that lead you to where you are now? Well, I my coach su- suggested I go through coach training. So I did a two-year coach training program and it was mostly to learn more about me because as you know, as we're getting trained as coaches, you can't talk to anyone about something you haven't already explored within yourself, or at least that's the way my coach training was. So it was a lot of self-reflection and practicing coaching with other cohort members. So it was intense two years of personal and professional development. And after that, I realized that no one would ever pay me to coach them. So here I had this certificate and no one would ever, I, I, I didn't think I would ever formally do anything with it. And I thought, okay, well, how can you prove yourself right? And I was like, well, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to be a coach. And I know that it's not going to work, but at least I'll be able to look back and know I tried. But it turns out I was really wrong. So I I knew I moved to Colorado to live with my sister at that moment. And I knew one person in Colorado. I sent them a little PDF flyer that I'd made and Surprisingly, within about three weeks, I had eight clients, all female executives and entrepreneurs. It was kind of off and running from there. So after getting over the shock of it, I just have felt incredibly grateful and humbled and honored to play that role. And so, yeah, I've been coach facilitator, still sometimes consulting on culture, but mostly getting my hands a little messier than I would have back in the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love this idea couple of things from, from what you just mentioned, the journey of being a coach and is absolutely introspection first. I agree. I think that was how I was trained as well. Um, and then just like knowing like your sense of self, like what you bring into the room as a coach and it all, it all mirrors everything else about leader or manager, all the things. Right. And so um, I love that you got a gut training to be a coach without thinking that's what you were going to do. And then you proved yourself wrong. I, it's really good. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. yeah. And the, the next thing I'd love is that it seems like we do similar work and I love like talking shop. And so this idea of 
executive coaching or leadership coaching one-on-one versus um, I do some facilitation as well. It's some of the same muscles, right? You're asking questions, you're reading the room, you're trying to move the group from point A to point B, um, whether that's in strategic sessions or team building or whatever. And then Mm -hmm. um, that idea of kind of team, it's almost like team coaching, especially if, if you're with these leadership teams. So I'd love to spend a little bit more time talking about what you're seeing in these rooms. Cause you used to be in those rooms internally or as a consultant, and now you're there kind of more as a coach facilitator. And I'm wondering if some of the things that I'm seeing in some of the rooms I'm in is similar to what you're seeing. Yeah. Let's compare notes. Let's, yeah. I mean, okay. So some of the things I'm seeing, First team is a term that's gained a lot of traction. Uh, the This idea of when you ask someone, who's your team? Who are they going to think of first? And most leadership teams don't think of each other as their first team. They think of their in, down, basically their direct reports and anybody underneath them. So that's who they orient towards as their first team. So the the transition to all of a sudden identifying with your peers or your the other leaders as your first team. And I'm going to adopt a mindset that's a, a little higher altitude. We're going to have each other's backs as a leadership team when managing our functional teams. That is one piece that usually is an important talking point. And then building trust with each other, because if you can't trust each other, then you can't really evolve that leadership team to become a first team. Yeah, I um oh my goodness, I love that we're talking this because I think this I I got familiar with this concept in five dysfunctions of a team. I think it's Lencioni and and so that idea of who is your team. You absolutely hit the nail on the head. It is like who you think of is who you who you lead, like your direct reports, who is in your charge, right? Who's following you? Who's in that? You know, if I'm leading the learning and development team, then that's my team. When really are we should be orienting ourselves as our team is the who are my peers? And we all have the same manager. And that's my team. And it's really interesting because I think I've seen that some leaders kind of sometimes don't even philosophically agree with that notion. Have you ever found that kind of that challenge to just even the philosophy of it? I have. Yeah. Some that just don't think that lines up with successful business. And I think that maybe as an exception, that could be true. There's some people who you don't need to align with your peers because it's such a top-down organization. It's really just about executing against the strategy. But then I'm like, "Mm, well, you still need to be able to coordinate. And if you aren't coordinating with your peers, then that's a lot of responsibility that goes to your manager then to make sure everybody's work streams are coordinated. And it just feels like now we're creating a very, uh, a company that requires a lot of all people leaders And so we're going to, by definition, lack efficiency. And so as long as you're okay with that, okay, great. We're going to create an inefficient top-down organization. And therefore, and if the, and people are like, yeah, that's, that's my company. I'm like, okay, then we forget. I said, first team, let's talk about trust. 
Yeah. And I think we hear a lot about silos. We need to break down silos. And often I think that's the idea of I'm running my own agenda with my team. You're running your agenda with your team. We'll keep each other up to date. We are both aligned to the same strategy kind of quote unquote, right? However, we're actually running potentially multiple strategies in parallel, lacking efficiencies, not talking to each other, which means our teams probably aren't talking to each other and, and all the other things that come along with all that. Exactly. Not thinking about dependencies that are coming down the line and therefore we're not getting ahead of them, which therefore when I'm done with mine, I'll hand it over to yours where we could have been doing these things concurrently, but we didn't because we weren't thinking about that way or talking about it. So yeah, I'm, I'm just such a fan of efficiency to me. Maybe it's um, how good it feels to me. It's like maybe my personality style that I like it when it feels like we have momentum and that we're maximizing for productivity and efficiency. I just like it. I like how it feels. Other people don't care as much, but I really like it. So I want as much of it as I can get. Yeah. I love the efficiency. I also just love, I guess I'm a collaborator at heart and I want to understand the peer, like my peers agenda and I want them to understand mine and I want to look out for each other. And it Mm -hmm. just seems that like the peer relationship in a leadership team is probably the most underutilized and overlooked. I think you spend a lot of time managing up to manager you spend a lot of time down, right? But not so much, maybe across more so like cross-functional, but like direct peers, like it just feels like it's a just an underutilized relationship. Yeah, exactly. So I'm thinking if anyone's listening and like, oh yeah, well, I don't even know what to do with that. I mean, something as simple as one-on-ones with your peers, and it doesn't have to be every week. It could be once a month or I know a lot of leadership teams or groups of peers choose to meet without the manager in the room. Yes. yes. (laughs) It's such an easy way to all of a sudden kind of access that point of leverage and build on those relationships. It doesn't have to be overly scripted, but just to build those relationships can be huge. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think it, it then gets you back on the same page. Um, It take, it might take some of the burden off of manager It might like, just think about like in goal setting time, like, could you actually have some linked goals? Like that would be amazing to me. Exactly. So in terms of, in terms of like other leadership team kinds of things, what, what, that's one um, you mentioned kind of first team and we dove a little bit into peer relationship. What else have you been seeing? Most of the time people are not saying directly what's on their minds. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge problem because there's a, a lot that's being unsaid. And that is as much to do with interpersonal dynamics as it is about strategy. And I think it ultimately, if we're talking about executive teams, it comes to the CEO, or if we're talking about other leadership teams, usually there's the person with the most amount of authority in the room who kind of sets the tone. But I think being a leader requires maintaining a mindset of ownership and responsibility, healthy responsibility for the success of a team. And that means leaning in and saying things, even if it's a bit uncomfortable. So finding ways to make it more comfortable. So we're not like tweaking out our nervous systems, but we just need to be saying more what's on our mind. And sometimes it's like, our meetings take way too long and we just don't get through enough. 
or we said this last week and we're, but no one followed up on it. How are we managing accountability here? Or it drives me crazy when you send me things over the weekend because I wake up Monday morning and I feel like I'm behind. I don't know. Those are just three examples, but most things that people are filtering out. And so the level of honesty is lacking. Therefore, people aren't giving each other feedback. And then it becomes more performative. And I don't think businesses can really thrive in that setting. Yeah. And it's it's an expensive undertaking. If we think about all the people in the, the room in a leadership team meeting, like that's a that's an expensive meeting anyway. And then we're not saying the things that we need to say. Right. So as a warm up to that, I usually say, let's go around and tell people what are they doing right? What's something they've done that was particularly impactful for you or your team? And it's amazing what gets flushed out. You're like, oh, really? I didn't know. Okay, well, I'll keep doing that. Or, oh, that's so helpful because I, I rarely ever think about it. And then if if there's a, enough trust using the Lencioni model, five dysfunctions of a team, trust is that bottom foundational pillar or it's not really a pillar if it's um, horizontal, but layer, let's call it a layer of the pyramid. (laughs) If there's enough trust, I'll say, and then what's one thing that you've seen this person's capable of, but you wish they were doing more. Mm -hmm. And it's just a simple prompt that gets people talking, but it's kind of that appreciative inquiry kind of mindset. So we're not treading on territory of too much critical feedback too soon. I like how you describe sometimes it's interpersonal dynamics. Sometimes it's, we're just not practicing some of these behaviors. I do some facilitation of senior groups. And sometimes we start, I use a Hogan, but the, it's a personality assessment, basically lots of people use different ones, but sometimes it's, that's their nature. Some people are like more to the point. Other people are more sensitive. And I find that like, there might be a room of like, not sensitive, but empathic, I guess I would say mm-hmm. like they're, re- they can read the room, but then they don't want to disrupt or have or disrupt the relationship. So they're less likely to deliver those hard messages. Right. And then yeah. when they do deliver them, they do it in with such a nuanced tone that sometimes the leaders that are more direct aren't even picking up the fact that they're getting feedback. And so you leave the room thinking you've had one conversation, but really the other person has not had that experience at all. And, and so that's some, that's one thing to think through is like, what is your communication style? Why don't you want to deliver that hard message? When have you done it in a, in a, a way that somebody has actually understood it without having to have that same conversation multiple times? And then like, just what are the rules of our group? Like, how do we give each other feedback? How do we hold each other accountable? And are those rules like expressed and written? And, you know, it might be that the whole group tends to be less direct. So how can we build in a mechanism into our monthly meeting to actually have these hard conversations, right? And so sometimes it's as simple as, where, what are our ways of working around this thing? Oh my gosh. It's so fun to bring a group into a, a, a room and then have those kinds of conversations. All right. Okay. Let's just remind ourselves. What are the business objectives we've set out to accomplish? Okay. What would re- be required of us as a team to be able to hit those? And then how do we compare and contrast that to how we're operating right now? And it's, it's so obvious to each individual, but just to have those kinds of conversations, it's so meaningful. And then you're absolutely, everything you said, I just would plus one. 
Yeah. Are you finding that teams are, are prioritizing these kinds of conversations? I think they, if I'm tracking, so during the pandemic, obviously we all went remote and became distributed teams. Some people were more comfortable or used to that than others. There were major shifts in markets. And so business as we knew it was going through a lot. And so I feel like now 2023, it we're, in a state where we've gotten more used to the new normal, but we're lacking, we're noticing maybe for the first time this year, the impact that not being together as often has had on decision-making and, and building relationships. So I think we're seeing, I'm seeing a resurgence in terms of people prioritizing, Mm -hmm. having the conversations, getting together in person, maybe they're back to the office and having offsites, or maybe they aren't. And they're coming on site together and meeting each other maybe for the first time. But I think sometimes virtual gives us an excuse to be more distanced and, Mm -hmm. and not take the time to invest in the, in relationships in a way that can accelerate our professional networking, as well as our career development and our ability to collaborate with others. I completely agree with everything you just said too. It's, um, I think there has been a more intentional, there are certain teams that are coming together specifically. And I think maybe this might be point in time because it's kind of, you know, Q1 just ended and there's lots of kind of vision setting and those kinds of things, but it feels like leadership teams are coming together more intentionally to talk about some of this stuff. Now, if they will continue to do it on a consistent basis, I am not sure. I hope they do. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Fingers fingers crossed. crossed. Yeah. Yes. In terms of investment, I mean, I completely agree with you that it's expensive to bring everyone together. I think the ROI though is so high and that's just... What makes it hard to track is the opportunity cost because people feel like this is good enough and they just don't know how good it could be. Probably you and I coming in, we realize, oh, oh, you all have really missed the mark in terms of what you're capable of. Like, like, let's get you back on track. But they don't know what they don't know in terms of how good it could be. But usually that's where coming together. I like your word of intentionally coming together with intentionality, setting those operating principles figuring out how to weave them into a recurring cadence in terms of their agenda and how do they touch base in a health to create healthy accountability. Yeah. And I, I find that then it kind of creates the cascade then of the organization. So if you're doing that at the senior team, then that gives kind of the model of, okay, then I can do it for my next level team. Right. And then maybe that's how that team can get together um, and can instill some of those same behaviors kind of top down related back to what you mentioned before about culture um, Mm -hmm. and growing that culture. I think it's just a, it's a very important precedent to set. You're saying, you know, it's important for us to spend time together in these intentional ways. And we expect that at different levels of the organization. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Creating clear expectations and then people can self-organize. Yeah, for sure. Are you in a new role or transitioning to a new role soon? Have you thought about how you will transition into your new role intentionally? How do you create boundaries to sustain your energy and prioritize the things that matter most to you? How would it feel to go into your new role feeling prepared with an intentional plan to prioritize the most important things? 
and still have energy to tackle the things that will inevitably come your way. These are the kinds of things that leaders are working on in the catch crew. The catch crew is our community to build your career intentionally, whether that means transitioning into a new role, building or reinforcing your team culture or planning your next role. When you join, you get instant access to career transition tools, including values first, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book, values first. You'll get the tools you need to build the life, career, and team culture that you want. Go to thecatchgroup.com slash catchcrew. That's thecatchgroup.com slash catchcrew. We're having our next monthly catch up soon. Can't wait to see you there. One thing that I have seen kind of in leadership teams too, and this is more, this one comes out, I think more in in individual coaching. So I wanted to see if this is something that you've seen too. So when I coach mostly female executives, um, sometimes in the C-suite or kind of in some of these middle layer um, leadership teams, they might be directors, senior directors, VPs within their leadership teams. It feels like they're a really good observer of what's going on and they see they see different things and it may not be in their remit, but they know that they can impact it, mm-hmm. uh, but it's taking them away or it's adding to their plate. So it might be an efficiency that they see over here or bringing together something or whatever it might be. They're solving a problem, but it's technically not in their sphere, but it could be something that they could influence and they end up taking it on. And what I find is that they're taking on a lot and to the detriment of usually themselves, right? Let's be honest. You're not going to not do your job. You're going to just do this extra work. And so I'm wondering, are you, are you seeing this? And like, I'd love to kind of play out just different mindsets and other things that um, we might have to be okay with letting go some of this work. Yeah. Oh, that's, it's all too common. And I think I, I probably am in that camp of someone who I, if I see something I want to help. And I feel like I'm a recovering, I call it a hero like in terms of the Cartman drama triangle, but just basically I can trend towards taking too much responsibility. And I think that's, if we were to gender it, I think that's more common for females. And especially for those of us who are trying to climb the ladders, there's a sense of if I go above and beyond, then I'll be rewarded. And that's true to a certain extent, but there is actually a level of the organization where that's stop that is the opposite of what you need to do to prove yourself in terms of being able to rise to the next level. So the, what you're talking about in terms of probably director and above, I think the skill set being asked of us is to be increasingly strategic, increasingly influence what other people are doing. And so it's a total inversion of how we've been used to tackling things and becoming the executor and figuring out how can I take just the right amount of responsibility of helping create success without taking on the work myself. And that is like easier said than done. Let's be clear. Like, it's not like, oh, here's the one thing you do. And then like you're set for life. Cause it's hard to change the way that we've been behaving, but um, I'm happy to share a few of my favorite best practices. I'm sure you have some as well. I'd love to hear them. One is I ask people, or the question that I prompt people um, to ask themselves is, is this mine to do? Yeah. Does it need to be done? 
and is now the time? So those are the three questions. And sometimes it's like, it needs to be done. Is it mine to do? Mm, no, I love how you're shaking your head. Like, no. no, most often it's not. And so then it's a question of whose is it to do? And then what's my role in setting them up to, for success? And that in and of itself can help reset what I'm saying yes to. Another approach is just to manage my time or energy. And so it's to look at what I've already said yes to and to be monitoring what is my current bandwidth or what do I have to to take on? And most people have not done that exercise ever, or if they have, it's not recent of literally what are the the things that I've said yes to, what's the timeline that I have. And if I were to look at those on aggregate, what do I have left? And if the answer is nothing until Q3 or whatever, whatever the answer is, can you stick to it? Can you just honor that that's true and communicate it with others? And if you need to take on something, then you're also going to have to let something go. And no one is alone in figuring out that prioritization process. We often feel like we're alone and feel like we have to figure it out on our own, but we don't. That's something we can do with our peers, with our manager, or even with our team and say, here's all the things we've said yes to. Now we're being asked to do this. So in order to accommodate, what are we going to let go of? I, oh my gosh. I love all of this. I think, um, I don't know if we're good at knowing how much stuff we can do. I think we're yeah. It's all, it, we're almost like an unreliable narrator. And so yes. because of that, it's almost like we should, I, I, I tell my clients sometimes it's like, we have to be more kind of ruthless with our time as you grow in your career, because, you know, there'll just be more things and, and more things undone. So I think if we are even doing that assessment, we're probably erring on the side of, we can do more than we think we can. Yeah. And so I think, so I think there's that, um, Mm -hmm. especially with, you know, high achievers, we're still trying to prove ourselves and all the things, um, sometimes some perfectionist tendencies, and I am speaking on my own experience as well. (laughs) Yeah, we're guilty, uh, but we've gotten better, right? I think the thing that I'm trying to remember also all the things that have helped me get better. I think the less I feel like I have to prove. So just reminding myself that's a constant thing, right? Is that we don't actually have as much to prove as we think and updating our perception of ourselves and how far we've come Mm -hmm. and what is expected of us and right-sizing those expectations. And because if I think back, there was a lot of people pleasing woven into the things I was saying yes to. Yeah. Then there was just the things that I felt like I could do better, which is like really terrible to say out loud. It's like, there's some part of me that's embarrassed to admit it, but that's really truly what I believe is that if I were to take some things on, I could and would do it better than whoever was tasked with that project. Oh, that is like so real. It's like, okay, so the, here's the work that needs, like you're, I can just see it. Like you're sitting in a leadership team meeting. There's this thing that needs to happen. And we're just all looking at each other like, well, you know, it should be, you know, somebody, this person, they're not raising their hand and you know that you probably don't have the capacity, but you know, you can do it and you can probably do it better than them. And so you raise your hand to do it. Like we're actually volunteering for these things. Yes, we are volunteering and then we're mad at ourselves or we get mad at other people or feel, you know, like the martyr. And it's like, oh, we have so much more control over that than we realize. I bet if we all optimized for our own well-being, 
we'd probably land in terms of saying yes to the right number of things. That's probably a good calibration for us of just like, does it, do I want to, is it fun? Would it be additive or energizing for me? Not, would it be fulfilling? Do I think I should, could I do it better? But just kind of asking ourselves from a different state of mind, do I want to, that that's, that's helped me a lot. I also, if I find myself too often in that room that you're describing or too often feeling like I could do it better than them, I'm actually on the wrong team. Mm -hmm. And I've had to opt out of teams and organizations because I felt like my expectations of myself were beyond the expectations others had of themselves, or maybe even the team had of themselves or the company. And I, I, it was so uncomfortable that I, I realized that too often we settle for being where we are rather than thinking about where we could be and doing the courageous thing of saying, no, it's not, this isn't a good fit. I'm going to figure out where would be a better fit. And it's so much more fun for me to be in a high performing team where everybody's the first to raise their hand. Yes. Literally opt out. And I don't love that. You just said that. I think that that is such a signal to look out for and to listen to. And to, I think sometimes we feel, we feel security in where we are. Maybe you've worked at that company for a long time. You don't know, like right now, the market is just very interesting. Some it's hot, some it's not. And you don't know what you should risk and what you shouldn't. Is the grass greener? Like all of the things, but that is such a good signal to look out for. Like, am I even in the right room? Because a high-performing team is, an amazing place to be. And if you don't know what we're talking about, then you've not been a part of one. No. Right. And it's exactly right. If you don't know, if you don't get excited thinking about it, then you haven't been a part of one, or maybe it's been too long. If maybe some people, when I ask them, have you been part of one? They think back to junior high sports and I'm like, well, at least you have a reference point that I'm happy about, but it's been a while since you were in junior high. So let's figure out how do you, how to get you in a, wow. as part of a high-performing team, especially for, you said high achievers and those of us who want greatness or expect greatness. Yeah. And I think we sometimes, um, if we connect it back to that last thought, this idea of we sometimes sign up for things and do more things because we know we could impact it. Well, I could help make it a high-performing team or I could, I could make this culture better. Like I know I can, and I will tell you one person cannot change a culture. And if, unless you're the leader of that team, good luck to you changing that to a high performing team. It's just, you're not going to be set up for success. And I think sometimes we stay longer in those places because we think that we can impact that stuff ourselves. Yes. Out of optimism or, loyalty, like you said, but yeah, we hope it'll get better. We, we hang on to a glimmer of possibility that's yes, but it takes buy-in from everyone because it's hard enough if you have the people who want to do it right. And and they're bought into the idea. It still can be complex to to then maintain a high, high level of execution. And so if you don't have those things to begin with, like move on, move on. And think of all of the high performers that are in organizations where they feel like they're settling. If they all got together, that would be so much fun. 
isn't it funny how like I don't know about you but I think through the places that I was when I was in a high performing team and maybe you'll see them at a conference or at a networking event and then you were like you know if all of us just went out on our own like let's do that after we retire I don't I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in in places like that and I will tell you that first of all do it <laughs> second of all like it's possible. Like there's, there are other teams like this, other places. And it's uh, unfortunate if you're not part of that, part of something mm-hmm. like that. Exactly. What other things, any other kind of team dynamics or other leadership team dynamics you think is kind of most important to talk about right now? Something that's coming to mind is, um, and and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I believe it's helpful for every person to think about their own energy cycles and when in the day are they are they at their peak and when are they at their valleys because we all have these natural energy cycles. Mostly, they're pretty predictable. Uh, if we take really good care of ourselves, we might be able to increase our energy and sustain energy longer throughout the day. But there's still variance and. Most of us have not given ourselves permission to honor that. And to for most of us, the peaks of, of energy are also our peaks of productivity. So what are the most important, the most strategic initiatives? Is it collaboration or brainstorming or is it heads down time? And I should actually just block that time and not make it available, even if my team wants to meet during that window. And so holding stronger boundaries essentially around our peaks and valleys and 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 organizing our calendar to the extent we can to map to our energy and then communicate it with others because it's amazing how much better communication can be if I know that you're best in the morning, I'm best at night, but inst- instead of waiting till the next afternoon when I'm going to see you in a one-on-one, I can just put my ideas in a Slack message. You see it in the morning, you respond to me, and then in our one-on-one, we can you know, kind of move things forward. And I, I mentioned Slack. I, I happened to work with Slack as they were growing from like 150 to, I guess, when they were acquired by Salesforce, maybe 2,000 people. And they are an example of a company that really tried to maintain efficiency and culture and paid attention to investing in people. And they tried to develop a tool that allows more of us to do the same. And I think most of us, especially distributed teams, we're not quite taking advantage of that in the same the way that we could. We're still overly relying on synchronous or live or meetings and one-on-ones as the form of communication rather than finding other tools or systems that better allow each of us to map our days to our energy cycles. It's just a lot more fun. Then you can end your day and feel like you're not only you're more fulfilled, but also you can still have something left in the tank for your loved ones. Yeah. I really like that. And it feels like cultures that probably have a higher trust are probably trying things like this. Would you agree? Yeah. I think that's, I, I think they're open to it. Yes. And that you're right. There's cultures with low trust where if you said, oh, I'm better in the morning, I'm not willing to meet with you until you would be fired or, you, you know, something extreme um, would happen. And so of course, choo- choose wisely, you know, what you communicate and how, but even if you're not sharing it with other people, thinking about it in that way can be helpful. Yeah. Even if you don't share it that way, just building more autonomy in how you work. I think that it's, it's something that is, we just don't think we have control over as much. Yeah. 
And it is no matter, I think no matter what level you are, if you're early career, if you're a student to late career, there's always more autonomy in how you work. I think it's more about open communication, transparency, consistency, performance, all that kind of stuff. But there's always something that you can do that you're not doing now to optimize how you work or put it, like you said, put a boundary in place in different ways um, to, to get your needs met. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I feel like we all have more control over our experience of work than we realize. And most of us are focused so much on the things we can't control. That's the irony of it. Of And so really focusing on what do I need in order to feel set, set up for success? Can I set, can I make clear requests and set, you know, just take control? Well, oh my goodness. I have, this time has flown by and I have enjoyed our conversation so much. Thank you so much for just talking shop with me and deep diving in some of these um, team dynamic conversations that we've had today. And I just want to know how is it best that we connect with you? Where can we find you? Come to me on LinkedIn. Come hang out with me on LinkedIn. Yeah, let's find each other there. I mean, all of, all, all of the listeners come find me on LinkedIn, Miriam Mima. Yes. And Laura, when was your hundredth episode? It was recently. It was yeah, two it was months just, ago. Yeah, yeah. Let's all give you a round of applause. And just on behalf of anyone who has listened to any episode, thank you. I feel like this podcast is such a labor of love and it's such a a, a gift to the world. So thank you for being part of helping more and more people feel empowered to bring authenticity to the C-suite. Thank you so much. That means the world to me. I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for sharing your thought leadership here today to kind of peel back some of the layers of some of the things that are happening in these rooms and really um, motivating others to like work in the way and lead in the ways that they want. I really appreciate your time today. Wow, my pleasure. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.